to the Voncast, the most heretical podcast about the New Jedi Order. Um, we're brought to you by the Tashi Station Podcast Network. I'm Megan Krause. I'm here with my hosts, uh, Bria and Rocky. Hey, everyone. Hello. Hi. Greetings. Um, so if you have not heard our intro episode, you might want to check that out, too. We have an uh, episode zero, which will outline this ridiculous mission that we're on. We're going to be reading every book in the New Jedi Order. That's 19 books. Um, because we love them. And we're going to start off this day, this day, with Vector Prime, <laughs> the first book in the series. It's very formal, um, Megan. <laughs> I know. This day in history, we began the endeavor that took us beyond the galaxy to the new Jedi Order. Dun, dun, dun. We will not be discussing... <laughs> We won't be discussing the rest of the series. We'll only be discussing the book that we're reading this month. So don't worry if you're reading along with us and don't want spoilers for the rest of the series. However, we are going to consume one book at a time in totality. So maybe if you're worried about spoilers, come back once you've read Vector Prime. Today we're going to go through uh, the entirety of Vector Prime. So let's start out with how different this series is from a lot of from like other star wars books and we talked about this a little bit on the first episode so i wanted to go a little further into it it's kind of the bridge between the bantam era and the del rey era as we know it now it set the the kind of not the tone the underpinnings right for the del rey books that that or the Del Rey people that we know now. So what I wanted to talk about was, like, what you mentioned earlier, uh, you guys, about the tone. So the tone of this is very dark. It's very, like, Im- immediately, intentionally, I think they wanted to make it scary and make it, like, everything could go wrong and you're, these world-shaking uh, events might happen that are going to affect Luke Skywalker and Leia Organa and Han Solo, these characters that you know from the movies, but it's also going to focus a lot on their kids, and it's a place where you can jump into the series uh, without, like, having read previous Star Wars books, but it's also really different from other Star Wars books. So let's talk about the tone a little bit. It's very bantam in its tone, um, which is kind of what I touched on in our Zero episode, and I, and I don't actually mean that as an insult, but I've been reading through a like four different Star Wars books at once because I've lost my mind apparently. And I could definitely see because the time frame, like it's not exactly the same, but it's similar time frame for this book to what we see in the new Jedi order. And I could just feel the difference. I don't know. It's really hard. It's, it's hard to really encapsulate Um, especially because a lot of the writers who were there for the Bantam era sort of, not all of them, but a decent number of them sort of shifted into the Del Rey era. So you kind of had that bleed through, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, there's some specific moments in the series that I feel like are sort of almost refutations of the Bantam era in that they kind of recontextualize characters and say, okay, well, that character was this, but now we're going to find a new role for them. The other thing that I thought it was different was that just because of its length, it lets characters really stew in their emotions. You get a lot of time of people reacting to things, which was just not possible in shorter novels. It's also a lot more coherent and flowing than pretty much the entire Bantam era possibly because all of that has happened already and there's a decent amount of previous in-universe history. However, making 19 books with 
A variety of authors all flow together well enough that despite everyone's individual styles, interests, themes, you can tell that it's all very much part of the same series and universe. It works together in a way that, honestly, I have not seen in any other large multi-author series. And if anyone does know of another series that's done something like this, you should tell us, because I at least would be interested. I think there are some moments where you can see authors who have their favorites, who have their sort of um, their own goals and writing characters. We'll talk a little more about how I think different authors wrote Luke and Mara differently in different books. But I do agree that it all feels, it feels cohesive in that, in that it has um, this sort of weight to it, like the style has, like, oh man, I'm not describing this very well. And Bria, like, maybe maybe we might disagree on this, because you said that it feels a lot like the Bantam Mirror, whereas I feel like it's more, it, it tries to be darker. And that's not necessarily a good thing, but it's that, like, we're going to try to be gritty now. And I think that works for me when I read it. It's, it works for me still. I can see how it wouldn't work well, for people, but it's kind of the glue that holds them together. I think it has more to do with, not when I say, like, writing style, not necessarily, like, it being darker and grittier, but just how the characters act. Um, I've been trying to page the book and find the, the line I was looking for that I read last night, but there's... There's some dialogue that Leia has that feels very Bantam era, and it's not something that we would see now in the sequel trilogy era. Like, I I was reading through, and I was like, that is something that, you know, the Last Jedi version of Leia would literally never say, just because of the phrasing of it. There was, it was kind of a different interpretation of the characters um, that's no less valid because they went on different journeys, but it just... (sighs) I don't know. It's 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 hard to explain. Like I don't disagree with you. Um, I see now how we're kind of talking. About yeah, we, I think we are. Like how character interpretation versus prose yeah. style. Because I'm. Yeah, I would also argue that Vector Prime and, is in a different style than the rest of the series. Vector Prime, and to some extent, the next two books definitely do seem to feel different. They flow differently. A lot of the phrasing, pacing feels closer to the Bantam era, but it also has very much the sensation of those of us who were reading the Bantam books in elementary school, middle school, well, we got to high school and we fell into the new Jedi Order and we just happened to be the right age and the right darker, edgier tolerance for that sort of thing. Plus, at the time, it didn't really, I didn't really notice the difference, but in reread, it's Vector Prime is kind of on its own style-wise, and then the others all kind of flow together. It's kind of funny what you're saying, though, yeah. because I think this was Ari Salvatore's first Star Wars book, whereas the author who follows him had already written, what, four, I think, was under Werner Stackpole's belt at that point? Four or five? I think. It's interesting. Correct me if I'm wrong. R.A. Salvatore comes from a fantasy background, right? Yes. Yeah, which like quite a lot of there's quite a lot of influence of that in Star Wars. But interesting. Um, there there are moments in this book where you can clearly see what the author is going for, and in that way, it did feel like Bantam to me, and that it was very direct. But that's not always 
true either. I'm trying to make a generalization, but I think I'm going to walk it back. The part that specifically struck me was the, the near the very end. So I think we're going to talk a bit more about that later, how occasionally characters would be sort of like, and here's the lesson that we learned from this, or here's the emotional like puddle I'm going to be sitting in for the next couple books. You see how things are planted, and you also see the way the characters react in terms of saying like, like how they've been shaken by something. And that's, I think one of the goals of this book were to show fans that things were going to be shaken up. Things are going to change. You're going to see things you've never seen before in star Wars. And we got a lot of that. Like, I don't, I don't know how much conversation there was around specifically that at the time, but it reminds me a little bit now of like the conversations around the sequel trilogy with like Leia shouldn't use the force in that particular way. Like, there's so much new stuff in Star Wars happening all the time, and New Jedi Order is sort of this this flag stuck in the ground of, like, here's a ton of new stuff happening at once, and your favorite characters are just as surprised as you are. Oh, okay. I think I have one of the points I was trying to make earlier. Um, I think one of the things that the book did to sort of ease that transition is, so I think it was Rocky who was saying, you know, this succeeded more because everyone was writing straight through, like, you knew everything that happened. And that because a lot of the books in the Bantam era were written out of order, that you had you tended to see a lot of the same elements. Like the big three would go on some adventure. The solo kids would get kidnapped. Lando would have some <laughs> grand new scheme that he was doing to make money. And what do we have in here? Oh, Lando's latest wait. scheme to make money. <laughs> I was about to say, wait, all of the yep. above? Almost all of the above. Almost. I don't think there's any <laughs> kidnapping going on in this, but... I know, that is kind Danny's of a departure sort of from the usual. sort of kidnapped, and Jason rescues her, so... Yeah, actually, can we talk about Jason? Because I remember the first time I picked up this book, Jason, for me, was the most jarring thing, because I... I grew up on the Young Jedi Knight series, which were Starjana and Jason, and I read those books forward, backwards, a zillion times. So when I picked up this book and I'm like, Jason Solo is being philosophical about the Force and he's not making stupid jokes? Who are you and how have you been replaced? It was very jarring for me. I don't know if you guys felt the same way or not. Oh, oh yes. yeah. I had forgotten. I, I didn't grow up in the Young Jedi Knights. So the, this was one of my first, like, introductions to these characters so when I learned that Jason was like the funny one and I think Anakin's thing with animals Anakin Solo has a very Ezra-like affiliation with animals that was Jason Jason. Mm -hmm. oh was that Jason as well because I I remember that that sort of goes through that becomes important in the new Jedi Order because of the the biotech Mm -hmm. yeah Jason there was a really fun moment in the very first uh, YJK book where Han comes to visit the Academy and he brings presents for both of the twins. Uh, He has like a busted hyperdrive in one hand and flowers in the other. And instead of, you know, them being the expected, he like Jaina runs to the hyperdrive. Jason gets really excited because there's flowers, which are a rare food for one of his pets. And it's just the cutest little moment. But that's not this series. Sorry, I do. (laughs) In this series, it's like adulthood kind of, tackled them Jaina noticed that Jason didn't and everything just blew up in their faces and it just keeps on getting weirder and weirder in a way it made sense to me that sudden like personality switch when 
more so after a few books in, it makes a little more sense after the world's kind of fallen out beneath you. Mm -hmm. But it was still pretty jarring. I Now, I was reading Young Jedi Knights a little bit before this, but the change in the tone between that entire Bantam era, it's... I think just reading Vector Prime the first time and realizing, oh, so this is actually as dramatic, serious, and world-shattering as all of the spoilers I've read were leading me to think. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Bria, you talked about comparing this to the sequel trilogy, and I think there's kind of two things going on. There's Leia and Han's relationship is very different in the New Jedi Order than it was, or in the old EU. And part of what I noticed about it was how Han in particular is portrayed as, like, so close with his kids and very um, attentive to them. But at the same time, it's that teenage thing. It's like Jason is having a conversation that Han can't really follow. And I don't know, how do you feel about, like, because how do you feel about the twins as compared to Ben Skywalker. Ben Skywalker? (laughs) No, hang on. (laughs) I've swapped them. Spoilers! More on that conversation later. (laughs) It was... (laughs) So Ben Solo, I've always described Ben Solo in the new canon as being the love child of Jason Solo and Kip Duran. That's perfect! Um, That's Absolutely perfect. He got Kip's hair. Isn't it? That is so uh, perfect. <laughs> yeah, because part of it is for reasons we can't really talk about here yet, because we're on book one of a certain series. Um, but part two is, I, I think Han's relationship with, I think he's, in no matter what universe you're in, I think Han's always going to have a little bit of trouble being able to relate to his kids as far as the Jedi stuff goes. Um. Yeah, actually, what I found was really interesting as far as the the parents and the kid is Jaina's whole. Uh, she has this very weird interaction with Leia at the start about like how Leia doesn't hasn't been doing her Jedi training. It was almost like accusatory. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It, it was weird and just it really stood out to me this time around. Um, I mean, I know there'll be more related to that later in the series, but it stood out to me, especially after we just saw The Last Jedi and so many people are just losing their crap because Leia was able to use the Force to save herself, which, yeah. <laughs> I'm very torn on the Leia, Jaina, Mara dynamic in this book because... It starts with Leia essentially being jealous of Mara for being so close with Jaina. And then Jaina kind of gets at that from another direction and has that conversation with Leia about why did you not, um, not necessarily why did you not, like, choose to train me, but, like, to what degree is my Jedi life connected to your life as a politician? Because she's so thoroughly in the political space here. Um, I, I thought... I like that there are such, like, strong dynamics between the three of them, but it also kind of felt like that plot line, or that, it's not even a plot line because it's brief, but, like, that emotional line was put in to cause some tension there, and then, but that tension wasn't necessarily needed. 
you saw the like bond between Jaina and Mara, and you saw a different kind of bond between Leia and Jaina. Yeah, in a way though, it sort of makes sense, um, and I think that's something that's going to be similar again for Leia and her kids, no matter what timeline is. Leia is always going to put the New Republic first. Um, she'll put it above herself. She'll put it above her family, um, which I don't necessarily think is a bad thing. Uh, but it definitely makes her relationships with her kids a little bit different because, again, in the old Bantam era, uh, more often than not, you know, she wouldn't really be taking care of her kids. Her best friend, Winter, would be uh, the mo- the world's most badass babysitter. Um, <laughs> and I think that was just interesting to compare, whereas, you know, obviously Ben goes one way with his <laughs> I feel abandoned thing and Jaina and Jason go another way and are just like, well... That's cool. Or in Jaina's case, hey, I got an awesome ant figure. I'll go hang out with her and she can show me the ways of the force. Yeah. I do love that Jaina is the most stable of all of them. She's just like, I just want to fly and be a Jedi. And like, with some exceptions, she's relatively uh, strong in her philosophical ideas in this. And unlike Anakin and Unlike just about every other, you know, Ben. So unlike most yeah. other Force users overall, Jaina is remarkably stable, and especially once we get several more books in, I think most people will agree that Jaina is, in fact, rather worryingly stable. I'm impressed. I'm very impressed. <laughs> I mean, overall, there's that one book. <laughs> well, yes, but in the big scheme of things, yes. Okay, yes. Like, oh, so much yes. of the mother-daughter tension. I know that got me a lot because, well, a lot of us teenage girls probably can remember a lot of butting heads with our moms, and often, well, in my case, I also had an awesome aunt who was able to kind of be the voice of reason and the cool adult in my life. I feel like a lot of us have had that kind of experience, and so much of the family dynamic within the New Jedi Order just really resonated well to me and to what a lot of my friends went through at the same age. And so much of all of Ben Solo's issues and the greater messes of the Skywalker Solo family, a lot of that made a lot more sense as I got older and met people who had far more interesting family stories. It was something that made sense, but I wish kind of hadn't, really, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. I want to be able to compare the Lando in the New Jedi Order to the Lando in the sequel trilogy, but we don't have much of him. So what I'm left comparing him to is Tony Stark. Because I feel like Lando in Vector Prime is sort of the one whose job is to provide the technology that moves the plot point along. So, and he is that in the EU quite a lot. It's always one business venture started, another business venture failed. But here he like, his job is to sort of provide the hardware. And I I wish we got to see, um, we know a little bit about where he was during the Aftermath trilogy, where he was involved in gambling and he seems to be kind of, he was on Cantobite at one point. So he seems to be doing that more than the, like, military-industrial complex stuff. But, uh, I don't know, any other thoughts about Lando? Um, just at some point he shows up in the sequel trilogy, uh, and hangs out with Shriv. Yeah, yes. I definitely do feel like overall throughout the whole EU, Lando is often the, 
we need some new technology and a plausible reason for this technology to exist. Where's Lando? Yeah. The, uh, the whole asteroid running thing here where they're like, obviously you're training smugglers. I'm not sure what you're getting out of this except that they help you with your business, but obviously you're tra- training smugglers. Like, no one is... It's not In fact, yeah. I'm pretty sure there's a sign on one of those asteroids that says, Look here, plot hook. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I mean, smugglers in Star Wars are generally portrayed as, like, affable, and they're generally good guys, right? They're sort of chaotic neutral, but he's generally doing a good service for people who, like, Han just have good hearts and stay outside the, the law a little bit. Yeah. Well, didn't that actually kind of come up with the whole smugglers? Because Kip and his... And his squadron, right? Oh, Aren't yeah. they? They're going oh, yeah, after smugglers. Yeah, they are. That I think more. Kip. Yeah, like that wasn't really discussed here very much because Kip left pretty quickly, and then things went poorly but, for him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> had to go make a few <laughs> more bad decisions. It had been a while since his last few. Yeah. What five days <laughs> exactly? <laughs> it has been. Five days since Kip Thorne made a mistake. Someone should Photoshop that. Oh, gosh. In case anyone hasn't uh, read some of the other Bantam era books, uh, what you need to know about Kip Duran is that he was a kid who grew up in the mines of Kessel. Han and Chewie found him when they ended up in the mines at some point. They got out of this Imperial research facility, or they got out, there's some Imperial research facility involved. Turns out Kip has the force. So they sent him to Luke's Jedi Academy on Yavin 4, where he basically got possessed by an evil Sith Lord, uh, turned to the dark side, stole the Imperial Super Weapon of the Week, got really pissed off at the Imperial Academy and blew it up, <laughs> and like killed a bunch that of is people. All entirely accurate. And then he came back and the students defeated the Sith Lord with like the power of friendship or something. I don't really remember. And friendship then he got and toddlers redeemed. with lightsabers. That's it. <laughs> yes. I, was tra- I blocked that from my memory. Toddlers and lightsabers. And then uh, Kip got to have a redemption arc in which everyone was like, uh, you killed billions of people. And Luke was like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. We're going to save him. This keeps on coming back to bite Luke again and again. And also, I'm like crying, laughing now. It, it's a pretty accurate description of the Jedi Academy trilogy. It is. I recommend two pieces of writing, one, well, many, numerous, by Mallory Ortberg on Kipter and on Trial, and the one, the one thing Rocky and I have ever collaborated on was in defense of the Jedi Oh, Academy yes, Trilogy, yes, right? because that'll always hold a soft spot in my heart, despite it being yes. a hot mess of weirdness, hilarity, and really poor life choices <laughs> on many people's parts. So many poor life choices, but I love it too. If you played a drinking game for every bad life choice, you would probably die halfway through the first book. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I feel like if we ever like did more uh, more about that, it would just end up with me screaming, Xarkoon did nothing wrong, and it would be a disaster. <laughs> so. I'll file this away for further <laughs> podcast ideas. <laughs> For blackmail purposes. So speaking of that, um, villains, uh, the New Jedi Order brought us a very different set of villains. They use Han Vong, who 
worship pain and have a whole pantheon of gods and refuse to use anything mechanical, so they have created many, many biological weapons. So, I... I like them. I definitely, uh, so there are many other, like, species like this now that I'm into Destiny. They remind me of the Hive, who are all about necromancy and just being gloomy as an aesthetic. So this is definitely not, like, I think they're unique in Star Wars. I don't necessarily think they're unique among, like, all of science fiction. But I like that their culture is really consistent. It's hilarious, but also, like, I just really enjoy it unironically that every book and every like time a new character is introduced to them, they're introduced in pretty much the same way. They're described as like looking a certain way and their technology works a certain way. And they're just kind of disgusting. And I love them because their aesthetic is very it's very metal. And that's that's what all I have on that. Um Rocky was talking about how to pronounce their names because you get to learn, like, some words in their language, which I just thought was really cool. <laughs> like, they feel very complete, even though it's it's very simplistic. It's like this caste system and everybody's pretty, like, rigidly adheres to, to things. But you can learn a lot of love. what is expected of you if you're one of them and what does their language sound like. And I was really, like, fascinated by all those things when I read It's a very, very well-done alien race. It's so very complete. And something I notice in a lot of different universes is how much immersion do you really get? When I'm reading about the Yuzhan Bong, they're so well-described. Even if what my brain saw when some of the technology was described is probably not what they actually meant it to look like, like you're given so much that you could tell like 12 different people to draw a world ship and you would probably get 12 different drawings. You can grab a whole room full of Star Wars nerds, ask, how do you pronounce Yuzhan Bong? And you'd probably get about eight answers, maybe more. <laughs> I've, I've determined my pronunciation may be unique. I think you're right, though, that it is really consistent. You can, even if what you picture might not necessarily be what the person next to you is picturing, you're going to picture it the same way every time, because they're very consistent. One way or another, if you describe a very tall humanoid covered in tattoos and scars carrying around, yes, that looks like a staff. Oh, it's also a sword. It's also a snake, by the way. And if you just explain it kind of along those lines, suddenly the image you get is probably roughly along the lines of what they're aiming for. Yeah, maybe he has an you know an eye. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe it looks. I just like look an at a eye, lot of but... the names. <laughs> yeah, I just look at a lot of the names and I hope yeah. for the best, which is really what I do in a lot of Star Wars. I'm like, so this is gonna be fun as we were going through here because I realized that I pronounce most Star Wars names not correctly. <laughs> this is going to be fun. I tried to make it as um like, phonetic as possible, so it was use Han, but. I think I said. There's also got the double U going on there, and which is also like, yeah, it's it's a great aesthetic. Yeah, the and I love you it. say Yuzin Vong. I I don't know. My brain huh. went Yuzhan, but my brain also was very like for some reason my brain reads a Z H sound very differently from just a Z. I don't know. I'm mm. pretty convinced I made up pretty much all of it, and that a lot of my pronunciations are unique, but. No, I'm not allowed to take a poll about this. We should just be heretics and <laughs> just call them the Vong all the time. Oh, yeah, I think we're going to end up 
I don't I don't know why that's it became one of those things like there's no reason for me to like take that seriously. <laughs> but the way it's used in the book as I mean, except for like it's used in the book as like Jedi will do it deliberately. Jedi. No, it actually Jedi. just it actually just made get, sense to me. Yeah, yeah. Just as you were saying this. Because I noticed throughout all the books, the Yishan Bong you're always using when they refer to themselves, they always use their first and last names. They always mm-hmm. do. You never call someone by just their first name, oh. even if they're your close friend mm. or whatever. No wonder they would be offended by you're using friends. only half of their name for their species. That makes sense. It, like, it takes the, the god out of the name. Maybe. All hail Yun Harla. All right, so we're going to go... Um, through kind of the plot. I'm going to read, before we go, do you think I should do this now that we're like half an hour into this episode? Should I read the book? You might as well. I think we meant to do this at the start and then we forgot. (laughs) We did and then Bria helpfully reminded me. (laughs) Context, that would help. All right, so I'm going to read most of the, the blurb on the back of my edition that's falling apart. 21 years after the Battle of Endor, the New Republic will face an even darker enemy. Um, The New Republic has struggled to maintain peace and prosperity among the peoples of the galaxy, but unrest has begun to spread and threatens to destroy the Republic's tenuous reign. Into this volatile atmosphere comes Nam Anor, a charismatic firebrand, a man (laughs) who heats passions- this is very dramatic- who heats passions to the boiling point, (laughs) sowing seeds- I'm sorry, I can't stop laughing. It's so dramatic and it's perfect. I this closely before. (laughs) I love- I I thought I loved tenuous rain, but I hadn't even gotten to this (laughs) stuff yet. Sowing seeds of dissent for his own dark motives, and as the Jedi and the Republic focus on internal struggles, a new threat surfaces from beyond the farthest reaches of the Outer Rim, an enemy bearing weapons and technology unlike anything New Republic scientists have ever seen. Um, yes, and then there's sort of the cast list, right? Which, these books also have Dramatis Personae, which I love Today. I miss like, that from the that's... new books so much. I can't keep track of who anyone is anymore because I grew up with this. Yes. Actually, I'm flipping this... through it and Vector Prime does not seem no. to have it. It has a map. It has my notes from 2004 about how long it takes to get from one planet to the other. And it has the novel timeline. It does not have a dramatis person. I have yeah. most of the news. Well, a few so... books in, you honestly kind of do need it. My copy had a spine at one point, but has long since given up on that part. Yeah. Huh. Well, the map of the galaxy kept coming in handy again and again as I was reading this and going, wait, how big is this place? I love this map dearly. And I still have this list, this little, like, list of me trying to figure out how long it takes to get anywhere, which we now know is the speed of the plot, but I wanted it to be consistent and I was going to measure it. I Stuff is circled. Oh, man. Anyway, um, so let's go sort of um, section by section. I have this rough outline. Um, the Yusun Vong are kind of introduced because their, their ship is spotted by a bunch of scientists on the X-Gal, which is like a project to monitor the outside of the galaxy. And we're introduced to Danny Kui, who is great. She's just... Yeah, you know, she's she's trying to find her way and find things happening outside the galaxy, and she's pretty much described as like just competent and like science, right? Like she's not 
there's not a lot going on with her before she uh, gets involved with the Jedi. So the horror elements in this part really strike me, where you know you've got um, an undercover Yusan Vong, you know that the other members of the team don't know what's going on. There's what almost felt like a sort of Jurassic Park scene or something, where they're they're running from a storm and just people keep getting sort of picked off one by one by this toxic atmosphere. And that's all before the actual invasion fleet happens. So I thought the introduction of the horror elements were very effective. Yeah, I agree. And also uh, something I was thinking about when I was reading through it is that I feel like Danny would be a way more loved character if she was in this for this the new canon of Star Wars than she was back then. Yes. Um Yeah. She's, she's a tiny People nerdy are, scientist yeah. and she's very much introduced as kind of a normal everyman. Yeah. yeah. I mean she's also yeah. described as being pretty because it's Star Wars and the women oh, always yes. have to be pretty apparently. But I love that throughout and I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but she's like she's the one who's worthy to the Vong. Um She's the one who yes. is like, she's worthy over a Jedi. And I just love that she is this capable, really cool woman, now that I think about it, um, who did not get enough love back in the day. Yeah, I agree. As I was reading, she, and she's not even, she's described as pretty once, like, basically once Jason sees her, but she never, like, thinks of herself that way, I don't yeah, I think. think. She, like, that's I think Yaman Carr really... mentions, like... <laughs> they might have done that very typical, like, she's probably attracted to yes. humans, but I don't <laughs> Very care. much the must-maintain disguise. Oh, right. Human would comment on attractive woman. Must do that. <laughs> it's like, you expect him to be walking around um, with a tourist manual of how to survive in the human world or something like that? He, he kind of is, though. <laughs> His little tizzo worm. Um, is that how you pronounce it? Tizzo? Yes. Recently, I was looking for a word for an instant translator, and I could not come up with anything other than tis a worm. (laughs) And this was around people who are not familiar with Star Wars. Oh, dear. (laughs) He's very quickly described as gross, too. And, like, the the descriptions of, like, I think exquisite is used a couple times of, like, the feeling of the, the... the thing that just like carpets the, you uh, in pain and then the it just dies. Masker. It was all very Yeah, that masker, thank you, yes. Um it's all very like this guy clearly has some issues and these this species clearly has some issues. That's just such a quick and easy view into their species. They're saying, Oh yes, it's exquisitely painful. Yes, it's horrifying and painful. Yeah. They like it. Or they're told they're supposed to. <laughs> and they yeah. Yeah. I think some of them, some of them more than others, they're, and they designed this thing to be painful, like, on purpose. It's not, they didn't have to make it that painful. They're like, we're going to add this added benefit of it also stabs you continuously. <laughs> Great. That's just so unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> and it's very, um, yeah, but that, it's that's so over up. the top, I and really, I kind of love it. Yeah. <laughs> and there's the part, this is later, but there's the part where Jason is wearing one of those maskers and he's like, 
going undercover with the Yusunbong, and they're all looking at him, and he figures out that it's because he doesn't have any scars or tattoos, and he has normal eyes, so he must be low-ranking. He, like, figures it out very quickly. It's like, oh, I must look like a... Like, I'm super inexperienced to them because I don't have any scars. I must look like a, a normal teenager who stumbled into their first meeting with the adults. <laughs> yeah, it reminded me of, like, like being a white belt in karate, right? Where you get to the end of the line. So, uh, that's, like, that's about it for X-Gal, in my opinion. Do you guys want to add anything about, like, Danny in the beginning part? Mm. No. So, that brings us into Anakin and Jason, who are introduced having their Force debate, and this carries throughout the book, um, where Jason and Luke are have these very weighty conversations about whether the Jedi Council should be rebuilt. And I was, when I was reading these in, in the past, and now as well, I have to side with Luke Skywalker. Like, I kind of can't not side with Luke Skywalker, even though I think some of his decisions in this book are not great. Um, I was always like, Luke has to take charge because he's my favorite. So I was generally on his side with the idea that bringing a Jedi Council in would create more oversight and would prevent people like Kip from running around. But Jason wants to be more like almost more like Luke ended up in the sequel trilogy, where he's meditative and removes himself from the galaxy. Something I thought... Sorry. Anakin, then, like... I was to say, no, I got ahead. it uh, out of universe context, I think is kind of helpful here, because this is one of the very first books we see after The Phantom Menace comes out. Um, because I think from this point in mm, publishing onwards, this, I checked, and apparently this was October 1999, um, so you, from here onward, as far as publishing goes, you start to see more bits and pieces of the prequels sneak in. Oh, yes. So we never really heard anyone talk about, like, some great Jedi Council before, and then all of a sudden, you're mentioned, you know, it could be like, oh, they came up with more records or something, but it's being mentioned here, and I thought that was very interesting. That's a good point. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. I did like that Jaina is not really engaged with this at all. She just wants to pilot. And I always thought that was so cool. Like, she's like, she's a um, fighter pilot. Like, that's awesome. That's all she needs. Part of me now rereading it thinks that she should have had a stronger stance on the Force stuff. That placing her outside of that debate gave her less characterization, not more. But at the same time, I like that she's the level-headed one. I don't, so it's kind of six of one, half dozen of the other. Yeah, I agree there. I also feel like a lot of her approach to the Force changes as the series goes on, just because the combination of growing up a little, as well as everything happening. And it's just really interesting to see how neutral she's staying with two brothers, and she's never really been the thinky philosophical type. So much of the first few scenes for all of the solo kids says so much about their longer-term characterization. And I felt like it was absolutely perfect in putting them as just old enough to start doing all the really fun things, or at least perceived to be fun things at that time, but also young enough to be able to get away with quite a bit. And it's such an interesting little transition point for them and their parents going, okay, how do we deal with kids that we can leave to their own devices somewhat, and the worst that's going to happen to them is they'll probably get kidnapped, but must be Tuesday. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's happened before. It's fine. <laughs> There's so much attention paid to who's flying what ship, and part of me likes that in a very um kind of categorization sort of way. Like, okay, I can check off. You know, if I was going to, like write fanfic about this scene. I could check off, like, okay, this character's in an X-Wing. A lot of attention is paid to the fact that it's hard to fly an X-Wing for a long distance, because you can't get up and stretch. You're going to be in there for, like, a week. How are you going to deal with that? Um, You know that Anakin tried to fly the Falcon one time, and it didn't go very well, and it's so much like a parent who gave a kid the car keys, and they're trying to learn to drive, and they're not, they're taking risks, and they're not great at it. I really like those, um, they very carefully place, like, okay, this person's here, this person's here. This person has the skill. Jaina's clearly very good at piloting. She, like, breaks the record on Lando's asteroid race, which was really cool. And you learn so much about the technology in these books. One thing that I noticed as I was reading was how intricate they, how intricately and carefully they describe the, like, the way the shields work. And, like, okay, this ship has shields and this ship doesn't. Therefore, if we modify it this way, the shield will change in this way. And this is how coral skippers work. Like, they use Sanvong ships and this is how they're different. And it's all very technical and very, like, geeky. And I, I love, love that, that stuff. I love that world building. Especially since we plunged into such a new era, new world, everything. The level of detail that they really did for the world building is awesome. And at least... I would argue that that's part of what makes it easy to get into the series if you don't know a lot of the EU, because Mm -hmm. so much of it is, yes, yes, we know we're going on and on about starships and little details and what kind of bug it is that can eat an X-Wing, but (laughs) you kind of need all of those details in order for the later books to really make sense. Yeah, and you're going to remember that thing the next time it shows up and remember what it can do. Yeah, and it's a good uh, t- it's a good way to compare and contrast the Vong- Yuuzhan Vong technology to the, you know, New Republic technology, too. The one thing that I had to point out is this one moment near the end where they mention the fourth state of matter. <laughs> Anakin says, the Mezikanli... Wave? Yeah, Mezzicanly wave, the fourth state of matter. I, like, Wikipedia that. So it's like, this has to be explained somewhere. This has to come up again. No, it's mentioned once. <laughs> and I don't understand, but it's, it's, it's great. Personally, in reread, my theory on that was Anakin was trying to look smart, so he repeated something he totally heard from some kid who told him a big story and made it sound totally credible. Kind of along oh, the lines Anakin. of, hey, guess I'll what? Take it. The word gullible is written on the ceiling. Really? Yes, totally. You should look up. <laughs> it is crazy to me that he's only 15 in these books and that the twins are 16. And I'm like, you are we children. What are you doing about to be on the front lines of a war? Don't. Please just it, go home. Don't do this. It makes me so sad, so confused, slightly scared, and I still remember being 16 and trying to learn to drive, and all I could think of was, well, (laughs) I wonder how old you actually have to be to get a pilot's license in the Star Wars universe, and whether that applies if your mother has been the chief of state for the New Republic many times. (laughs) It's funny, because like... I didn't I didn't think anything of like, yeah, of course I could fly an X-Wing. Like, if you dropped me in the Star Wars universe, I'd want to fly an X-Wing. But like, here I am and I can't quite drive a car yet. <laughs> if my flying in Battlefront is any indication, I can't fly an X-Wing. 
I can certainly drive a car, but I don't think I would have the attention span to fly an X-Wing. At least I can make the car help me drive. <laughs> That's what we have the solo twins. That's why the Jedi, mm-hmm. the Jedi meditation comes in, which is also like super detailed here. And I, I was like very happy to learn. This is like a general EU thing, I guess, but sometimes they talk about Luke doing breathing exercises and they call it like Jedi breathing exercises, but it's just like your general, like what you're taught if you have anxiety. It's like regular old, like here's how to like organize your breathing a little better. I, I love that that's a thing that like you can do in the real world because you can't do force trances and battle meditation, but you can at least do that. When I was a teenager, that definitely made me feel all the cooler realizing, oh, that is kind of a real thing. That does actually calm me down. I feel awesome. <laughs> it took me way too long to figure that out. So, Mara Jade's role in this book is she has one like huge fight scene with Yeoman Carr, and then she discovers or has been discovering the source of this mysterious illness. And this part, I wasn't sure where to put this in the timeline that we came up with for our notes because it goes on throughout the book. But I wanted to highlight that the the fight was very cool. Like, I really enjoyed reading it. Um, But her main plot in this is that she has an illness and that she kind of won't talk to anyone about it and that she... They, they definitely repeat many times that the thing that Luke thinks is best to do for her is to kind of stay out of her way and not to bother her or to seem like he's trying to help her because that would be condescending to her and that would not be what she wants. So that's like their main dynamic is this illness. Uh, what do you think about that? This time around, Mara's illness makes me want to throw something. <laughs> like, I... I don't quite know why they did it except for it to tie into certain things that are going to occur later on and I think this gives it unnecessary drama um but I was just kind of like really you're you're taking out basically like not taking out but because she obviously has the really cool fight scene but like you're you're sort of hamstringing one of your most badass female characters and giving her a disease that's attacking her womb. Yeah. Really? In, in reread, yeah. that does not really hold up well to me whatsoever. And yeah. it's it seemed like a very deliberate Mara on her own is badass enough that she could do a lot of damage. So take her down to below average level. It's... I don't know. It just doesn't really seem like it's it doesn't really seem like it works with the plot as well as a lot of the other little things that bounce in and out. It would have annoyed me a, I think well it still would annoy me, but it would have annoyed me a lot less if it hadn't been attacking her womb. Like come on. Like seriously? Yeah. Yeah. And the way it's the way it's sort of revealed is so dramatic. It's so and like, dramatic, yeah. and like I, yeah. I don't know how much of that's me. I think they say the core of her womanhood. At yeah, one point. it's. <laughs> Can we not? It's really weird. Yeah, 
I will fully admit that I never quite understood the Luke and Mara dynamic. I, I'm not nearly as, like, opinionated about it as I used to be, but I was never, I never really shipped them, and this book struck me as, like, they don't communicate very much, and so it was hard for me to see, it was hard for me to feel, like, chemistry between them, because they don't, the nature of their relationship is that they rely on each other in a way that doesn't actually require a lot of proof of that reliance, and that's supposed to be very, like, that's, that works for them, but for me as a reader, it was a lot like, why is Luke always walking away from her? Why is Luke always saying she doesn't need help? Why is she always saying, I don't want to talk to anyone about this? I, I don't know. They're, I, and I don't want to harp on it because I know I could, but their relationship felt very cold to me. And the, the illness was just sort of like a reason to facilitate that and sort of an excuse not to one, ex- like, like use her as the sort of, juggernaut she could be in battle or to change the nature of that relationship at all yeah i don't know i i liked them in well once zon was able to put them to the end game and stop having to have luke have another dead girlfriend every five minutes um i did appreciate the luke and mar relationship we got in the uh the uh, Hand of Thrawn duology. So I, I like seeing them together. I just, and I kind of like that Luke is, you know what? I know that what she wants me to do is like not ask her about it and stay out of her way. And he respects that. But I don't know. The whole illness just irritates the crap out of me. And I keep harping back to that. Yeah, I definitely don't like that. It feels like they're a lot more warm and fuzzy later on. But for now, they're definitely, they just feel so very standoffish, and I feel like it's very forced. It doesn't seem like, for all that, I can definitely see the idea that, to some extent, they'll leave each other be for certain problems. But it just seems that they are way further apart than a lot, a lot of people would be. It was very hard for me to tell, like, is this just me? Is this just because I tend, like, not to understand this relationship that I feel like it's cold? Or is this, like, like, is it just me or not? So (laughs) I appreciate the feedback. Yeah, it definitely seems way, way, way more distant than I'm used to seeing relationships in fiction or even in life. I mean, I've seen relationships that work like that, but usually they are imminently about to blow up in someone's face, so. And you could go the other way and say, well, it it could be, like, at least they're showing them as independent of one another, but then the whole, then we go back to the disease. And, like, the fact that so much of her plot is reliant on whether or not she can have children just... No. 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 Doesn't really work. (laughs) Make it stop. Yeah. I do love Mara's relationship yeah. with Jaina though. Like the yes. the aunt cooler older sister relationship. I do I do love yeah. that if I mean I I think in every some teenager ways, needs a cool adult in their life. Yes, and Mara was definitely that for Jaina. Um and I, I kind of like that they could There's... hang out and do stuff and fly around while the solo boys were doing whatever it is they were doing. 
some of Mara's like force philosophy stuff later on in the series was really cool. I think she got a couple of good moments of kind of showing like this is what it means to be a Jedi, and this is why she in particular brings a perspective like a good perspective to that. Oh yeah, that part. But that's not in this book. Um- <laughs> And no, well, we'll see. I don't know. Might be the same part. And yeah, we get to see more of Mara getting to be herself, and the fact that well, we all know that Mara is a perfectly capable fighter. Totally before she became a Jedi. Totally before she knew what was going on with the Force very much. And I feel like she does get plenty of moments of getting to show off here and there. But this is this book is not one of the best of them, shall we say? Yeah. Yeah. This it was all or nothing for her. It was either she's showing off or she's completely debilitated. Mm-hmm. There's kind of nothing between. Oh, that's not even true. She does like the conversations with Jane are very are very good. I think. Yeah, I think for me the standout fight, if you want to say that, is kind of what we talked about before, and it wasn't with Mara. It was with. Uh, it's when they do the Jedi mind meld for the the solo kids. Yes. Yes. Which sort of related to that, but I didn't realize how weirdly paced this book is because it's the entire, well, the big thing happens about two thirds of the way through and then it's just one big battle the entire like last third of the book. And I was like, really? This is happening? But the solo mind meld totally made up for it because I love that that's how they use the force and that even... Because there was a tendency later in the EU to be like, oh, all Jedi are automatically better pilots than everyone else. But I like that they kind of emphasize that Jaina and Anakin were already good pilots, and that's why they tended to do better in all this stuff than Jason did. Yeah, and they were able to then teach that to others. I really liked how natural it felt. Like, they're siblings, so of course they'd be able to combine like minds more not combined but see each other's thought patterns more effectively and they're gonna be they're the children of han and leia they're gonna be good like at flying they're gonna be good at being soldiers essentially and seeing them all work in concert was very cool it was very like this is sort of the power fantasy part of yeah the definitely, right? definitely. Like definitely yeah and it kind of, you know, helped the boys make up at the end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I like how the idea of the Jedi mind meld is there are so many things within this book that I just want to tell someone who's reading it for the first time, remember that thing. Trust me, this giant list of things is going to pop up again. Like you could have like a giant bingo chart with various themes, ideas, Jedi mind melds, other little things, and as you keep reading the series, there are not a lot of unimportant details. That would yeah. be a fun list to keep. So speak. Speaking of that thing that happens two thirds of the way through, I was also surprised at the pacing. Um, the series was kind of part of the I, part of the philosophy behind it was to show that the universe, the Star Wars universe, is going to be shaken up a little bit um, and to show that sort of anyone can die, anyone can possibly be in the crosshairs. I remember there were... I was worried during the series whether Luke would die. Um, and so they show that by killing Chewbacca on Cern Pedal when he is 
I guess, like, the moon falls directly on top of him, or he is consumed by the earthquakes caused by the falling moon, and then most of the rest of the book is the reaction to that. So, and I remember when this came out, there was also, like, a memorial comic. There was, like, an anthology of short stories about Han and Chewie, but the framing device was this book, and was, it's it's Chewie's funeral or something. I don't think I remember that. Someone's cat remembers yeah, it, so though. It's... <laughs> <laughs> That's T'Challa. Yes. Um, yeah, so I... There is also this the weird moment before Chewie actually dies when the mayor, I guess, of the town mm-hmm. where, they're at, where they are sacrifices himself. Yeah. For no reason. Kind of like he knows it's pointless but he tries anyway and he was just a very chill like meditative guy the whole time okay so i have like, a question does any I, i'm trying to remember if i'm just yes. misremembering a theory was there some popular theory going around back in the day that the mayor was boba fett or am i making this up <laughs> probably i don't remember pretty, but yeah. that sounds plausible and i because i was reading this going who is this character? Is this guy yes, important? Yes, that was a I big red like, herring because he's of not a named. I was expecting yeah. that Mary would be somebody else. Yeah, important. and then he just dies. Wait, I'm Googling. Yeah, I was of, right. Yes. I huh. was right. Apparently, it was the most common theory before. Yeah. Huh. Huh. Interesting. Huh. What killed the theory? Because I don't think that there, like, the mayor doesn't ever There's a later back, book like, that kills that theory. Oh, okay. I don't remember that at all. All right. Well, plus um, he shows up far. Yeah, so, never mind. Well, that's true. I guess Bobo. I need to go get anyway. my Star Wars tinfoil um, <laughs> hat, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, this death was definitely like I wasn't super attached to Chewie, but I think it's really effective. At they, I think I remember some behind the scenes thing where they talked about it's like. Chewie's the family dog, so his death is going to affect oh, yeah. everyone. So, and like, I there's think one scene that. in the very last, I think it's last or second to last chapter, where Han and Leia are basically having the moment of, oh, wait, we, like, despite the technically knowing that people can die, everyone can die, they've always kind of had the illusion that the whole family is secure, and no matter what horrible things happen, everyone's going to come home in the end. And yeah. suddenly realizing just how thoroughly that's been shattered. Wait, here, I found the line. I had this bubble built around us, Han tried to explain, around all of us. You, me, Chewie, the kids, Luke, Mara, even Lando. Heck, even the stupid droids. We were all in it, you know? In it and safe. Cozy fa- a cozy family. Invulnerable, the ever-perceptive Leia asked. Han nodded. Nothing could hurt us, could really hurt us. Even Mara. Her disease couldn't kill her, I knew it wouldn't. Yeah, and now and then they're like the bubble is gone, and then you get one of the a very solid last line in the book, which I really appreciate. Yeah, and that's ow. Yeah, I think that's the yeah. That's the thesis of this book. Like, if you're gonna read one thing in Vector Prime, that's like but to Han Solo, the galaxy suddenly seemed a more dangerous place by far. Which I noticed actually this read through it parallels kind of the first line because the very first line in the book is it was too peaceful out here and i was like well that's not gonna last very long leia the moments of oh it's, it's too, too quiet. quiet it's too peaceful 
Wait five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do we want to talk about how Han yes. very poorly handles this? Like, we're going to go into it more later, a couple books down the line, but... We can talk about how, like, I think several people handle this poorly. Yeah, in this well, book. especially <laughs> Han. There's, well, there's there's the moment where um, Lando and Luke are looking at the mm-hmm. Coral Skipper, and Lando, Luke comes out of after having communed with this alien spaceship, and Lando's like, oh, I thought you knew that yeah. she died. And Luke's like, no, I didn't know that. And I feel like the optimistic reading there is that Lando knew Luke didn't know and wanted to ease his pain by showing him a cool spaceship. But the al- the alternative reading is just that Lando didn't want to talk about it, which is I mean, yeah. very how do weird. You tell somebody that, oh yeah, a family member just died. It's like there's no good way to say that or no good time and. No wonder everyone falls apart. There's no good way of saying, hey, guess what? A family member just died. Like, that's going to blow up everyone's world no matter what. Meanwhile, Han Solo is blaming his 15-year-old son for leaving Chewie to die. (laughs) Like, And yet people do totally irrational and terrible things when they're grieving and confused and don't know how to deal with anything. But and it's so awful. Blaming him. It feels like, so that, forced like, and so very much that no matter how much this family is trying to all be nice and get along, every once in a while it just everything just does not work and everyone gets very angry. It almost feels like a lot of the big fights that happen within the greater Sky Skull family, I feel like a lot of it has to do with long, unresolved tensions that just all kind of came to a head. Yeah, I just, I don't know, like, every time I read that part, I'm just like, my heart breaks for Anakin Solo. It really does. That poor boy. Like, can you imagine having to make that decision? Like, leave leave your uncle behind who just made it a point to save you, and then by leaving him, you save yourself, your father, and, like, uh, but dozens of people on your ship or you try to go back and save him even though it's highly improbable and you all die like but you know there was a chance i just and it's ugh. what a four second decision or something like the amount of times he must have gone over the seconds that that took and that would have taken yeah, to go back just all anakin <sighs> you poor part of what was so painful for those conversations for me like being slightly removed from it is that they all kind of know they're acting irrationally like Anakin and Jaina I think talk about it Han at one point thinks about it like he knows like it wasn't Anakin's fault but he's sort of like but he has to blame someone he can't confront the idea of it without placing blame between him and the death yeah everyone's handling it basically as poorly as they possibly could and it's gonna get worse Yes. Like, yes, it is. I feel like I should almost warn people, not the next book, but in a couple books, if you want to see depressed Han Solo, you're going to get really depressed Han Solo. <laughs> when I was reading these for my reread a while ago, I remember there was one, I'm not sure, it might have been Star by Star, but there was one that I was just like, I don't want to read this right now because it's too sad. And... This is almost, this definitely kind of, like, rubs your face in the grief that the characters are feeling, and I think that's one of its strengths, but it's also like, 
you know, if you're not having a good day, maybe this isn't the it's right choice. It's very much yeah. the sort of series of, oh, you think this cannot possibly get worse? Hold my beer! <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it just keeps on getting worse and weirder and more screwed up. And by the end of it, there are a lot of people you want to hug and a lot of people you want to slap and many people both. And everyone needs therapy. A lot of it. Yeah, really. <sighs> all right. So with all that um, wonderfully optimistic outlook to look forward to, um, I think we're pretty much set for this episode. Is there anything else? I feel like we need to talk add? about something happy in this book, because that's a super really painful downer <laughs> note to end on. <laughs> um, I love that we're appreciating Danny. Like... Danny, she gets rescued by Jason, and there's this awkward tension between them because they're both like nearly naked in a <laughs> yes. together. And Jason's right? a teenage boy, reason, and he is having a massive. Yeah, he is having such a massive awkward teenage boy at the same time that he's desperately attempting to be a wise philosophical adult. It's really yeah. entertaining. Yes. Oh yeah, and th- that was something else I- in here that I thought of. I was like, this is so Bantam era because he's basically has to wear one of those like with masker things except it's not the disguise ones and it like basically a skirt and he's like the indignity of this Gina's never gonna let me down that I lived a skirt and I'm like oh my god Jason (laughs) look if that's your biggest concern (laughs) stick with that for now please oh gosh yeah there's this moment of almost like like it's funny because it's like the siblings where you know that Jaina knows how little dignity Jason has in this moment when she has to like push him into the ship because it's super narrow and but at the same time it's like they're they're kids like of course they would think this was kind of funny but they're not gonna be kids for much longer they're gonna have to grow up and it's this so bittersweet very normal to them I didn't know I was gonna be so sad about the skirt <laughs> I, I thought the skirt was a nice you know funny <laughs> note but <laughs> <laughs> But I do, uh, I do appreciate Danny and the, um, see, now I was going to be like, oh, Danny's cool. Part of what's cool about her is that she stood up to the horrible, uh, Cthulhu type war coordinator, but like, that's not happening <laughs> either. <laughs> there are coral many. Skippers, I think coral happy. skippers fall and everyone dies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Coral skippers are kind of cute. Like, if they weren't wielded by such a terrible army, they'd be kind of nice. They're described as basically ponies. Except they barf magma. <laughs> or lava. Oh, God. Uh, but, like, I don't know what ponies are <laughs> Magma in mine. <laughs> I still find it very interesting that giant horrifying bugs can eat through spaceships. There was some questionable physics in the part. What is this part. physics well, thing? I thought we left that <laughs> somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's like there's that bit in the X-Wing books where Corrin is like holding his X-Wing closed by the seams. It's like he puts a foot in a, in a place where it was broken to stop vacuum from coming in. There's kind of one of those moments where Kip is like trying to I think he intentionally ejects the canopy of the X-Wing at one point because he needs to get rid of the bugs, and then he, like, creates a force bubble over the top of There oh, yeah. are so many moments of artistic license physics. Yes. And which Star Wars has all the time, and it's fine. But you get such detailed, like, 
you could basically map out what the controls on an X-Wing looks like because there were so many like loving descriptions of the foot pedals on an X-Wing. And then Kip is like, I'm gonna basically be the the like use this ship as they do in the Lego games where it all flies apart and then comes back together again and squishes the bugs on the way. <laughs> He's trying very hard. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> He's uh he's definitely going in his own direction away from the bugs. Would it be uh would it be morbid if we uh kept a list of all the Jedi who kick it in the series? <laughs> Actually though, I can think we... we run out of paper Wait, to write the list there on. Was, there was only one other Jedi in Kip's squadron, right? So we yeah. have we don't have Michael. any like nameless Mi- Jedi deaths. Yeah, Miko, it's a, yes. Miko Regalia and uh I, I now have also... this image of a tiny raccoon trying to fly an X-Wing. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should also keep a list of uh, the Nokiri. Yes! Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Alright. Because we'll I don't think these. any died in this book, but <laughs> I seem to recall she goes through a lot of them. Yes. <laughs> the Death Watch for New Jedi Order. Okay, that's cheery. <laughs> <laughs> Well, if we didn't laugh about it, I don't I don't know how we'd deal with it. <laughs> no, no. And rest in peace, human car. You were weird. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well <laughs> I, I think we're gonna end there with um with our own little awkward note, but I'm glad we're doing this. I think it's only going to go downhill from here uphill possibly into what if the hill is a living creature and it readjusts itself yes yes it's going to balance (laughs) Uh. (laughs) ha 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 no (laughs) all right so before we go any further down this um black hole uh so where can we find you guys on the internet uh bria uh, you can find me on Twitter at Chaos Brea, and I'm also the managing editor for Tashi Station, and I run the geek fashion blog White Hot Room. Cool. And Rocky? I am Lady Darth Kytus on Twitter, and I also play Of Dice and Droids, the Star Wars RPG podcast. Excellent. And uh, I can be found at, at blog full of words on Twitter, and I write primarily for Den of Geek. I also do Western Reaches, a podcast about books and games for Tashi Station. And uh, we will see you next time for more tenuous reigns and heated passions, apparently. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening. This podcast is distributed as part of the Tashi Station Network. Join us next time when we read Dark Tide Onslaught by Michael Stackpole and the galaxy slides further into war. You can read and tweet along with us by using the hashtag Voncast.